Hey guys, what's up? It's Lexi. Welcome back to episode 12 of Brand of the Podcast. This is the third time I have sat down to record this week's episode. The first time I sat down to record it, I thought I had a great topic. I played it back to myself and I sounded very uh, heated in the conversation that I was having. Um, and I was like, you know, that's just not gonna work. Uh, I sound very angry, so next. So then I asked y'all's favorite guest to come back on the podcast and record with me. And I will attach a little snippet of what that looked like after um, (laughs) I do this intro. But uh, yeah, that just ended up being pure chaos, honestly. Uh, We were very giggly. We were very all over the place. I especially was very all over the place. And it was a good conversation, but it was just very hard to keep up with because I was so like scatterbrained. There was like no structure at all. And I was like, dang, like people are really not going to like this episode because it's just not easy to follow. So here I am for take three. Hopefully this one is a hit. If you're listening to it, obviously it is. If you're not listening to it, I don't really have an explanation for myself, but you know what? Let's just get into it. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. I'm back, y'all. Lexi told me to do that. Why did you get so into that? He asked if he could have a walk-up song. I was like, this is the most clever thing I can come up with. Okay, hopefully that didn't get y'all's hopes up too much. As you can see, um, we were a little rowdy recording together, um, and Daniel was having a little bit too much fun with the idea that he was going to be back on the podcast, so maybe he will be back um, on another episode in the near future, but uh, with everything that's been going on lately and our lack of structure trying to do it together the last time, um in order to get an episode out this week i gotta record it by myself so i'm sorry guys you're stuck with me same old boring me but that's okay um anyways let's talk about things that have been going on uh winter storm is hitting north texas again um we had like hail a couple days ago and then it was like beautiful outside and then oh wait no 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 just kidding (laughs) lies um okay We had like the most beautiful day that we've had all year. And then that night we had a hail and thunderstorm, which was awful. And then yesterday was windy, disgusting. And today it is snowing and it's supposed to like snow, sleep, be like a wintry mix for like the next 24 to 48 hours. I'm sure people that are in school are really excited about that. Um, But yeah, so basically trapped inside. Um basically like double the work with horses so that's just the best thing ever and um yeah motivation is down um happiness is down (laughs) 
Oh, I'm so dramatic. Anyways, yeah, so if you guys have been keeping up with me on Instagram stories, I'm just like a big goofy giggly mess lately because I just, I have just found that the best way to handle my life is to just laugh at myself and to just find joy every single day. So that's what I've been doing lately. Um, there's, it, I don't love this weather. That's all I can really say. I hate the cold. I hate winter storms i hate ice i almost i almost crashed my car earlier um driving to go get whataburger i don't know why i thought that was a good idea i didn't think that the roads were going to be so icy because it is like the very beginning of the storm daniel made it to work in one piece i it's been like kind of like a snow flurry sleet situation like off and on but like not like hardcore and i was very safe getting to whataburger didn't hit any ice and then literally as i'm going to turn back on our county road to get home i had to miss the turn and make like a big loop around because my car was sliding so bad i could not turn down my road mom and dad if you're listening to this i apologize but i really needed a number one with cheese (laughs) oh man Anyways, I'm just, life is good, y'all. Life is good. I'm so, I'm glad to be alive. I will not be leaving my house anymore until this storm is resolved. Um, But that's okay, because I have a lot that I need to be doing. Um, So, yeah, maybe I'll finally get my stuff right. But yesterday, I cleaned our entire house, like, mopped the floors, swept the floors, um, dusted, did laundry. I'm still catching up on laundry just because, like, uh we have like a lot of blankets and stuff out right now because of the cold weather. Um, so I'm like catching up on washing all the blankets and stuff, but like I gave the dogs a bath. Like I was just on it. So that was exciting. Um, if you guys keep up with me on Instagram, I did find a, another puppy got dumped at my house. She was so cute. She actually found the most perfect home, like literally within 24 hours. Um, my mom's best friend came and picked her up and now she is living with her oldest son and his girlfriend who are also really good close friends of mine. So, um, mine and Daniel's obviously, but, um, Anyway, so that's exciting. They were able to find a home for her. And then our other rescue dog, because I know a lot of people are going to be asking about her. Um, you can keep up with her on Rescue Row. She hasn't found, like, an official home yet, um, the little pit bull that was dumped at my house. But she is in a foster home right now. And from the updates that I've seen and gotten, she's doing great. So I don't know why people choose to dump their dogs at our house. It's actually really sad. But at the same time, it's worked out so far. <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't be complaining too much. But... We were really lucky that we found that puppy when we found her, thanks to my Uncle Timmy for finding her when he came to drop off pallets at my house, because she would have froze to death in the cold that had hit that night. So she got really lucky, but she's the cutie pie, so um, I'm excited to watch her grow up. Anyways, that's all of the updates that I really have for you guys. Um, I've been working on some stuff. I'm in the middle of some life changes, so... Like I've said in previous episodes leading up to this, I will give you guys as much information as I possibly can when that time comes, but hopefully I'll know more info by next week's episode. So that will be super cool, but I've been working on a lot to do with that. And then also, um, I am 
in the middle of prepping like my breeding uh podcast like breeding season podcast that I promised you guys last year I am going to be doing it for y'all I have had some people actually reach out to me and ask what I think would be a good cross on their mares which I think is so cool because I love that stuff and so um if you guys have any stallions that y'all are looking at this year send them my way because I'm always looking at new um stallions and I'm such a nerd I have a whole spreadsheet of like cow horse stallions running bread stallions like and it has like their birth year their color who their sire is their dam their dam sire their earnings progeny earnings and then what their stud fees are because I like having all that information in one place obviously so I can see what I think would be a good cross um but if you guys want that I can send it to you um (laughs) I am like a huge breeding nerd, so obviously I would have something like that. But um, I'm all always like open to hearing about new studs too that are in you know different areas. Um, obviously, being in North Texas, I have access to a lot of really nice stallions within like close proximity. But I love hearing about what other people are liking. So, anyways, um, there's that. Still trying to figure out breeding situation for this year, so. Hopefully, by the time I create that episode, I will be able to give you all some more information. But until then, it's kind of up in the air, so I apologize. And yeah, I think that's all of the updates that I have. So let's just get into this week's episode. And I am kind of talking about the same thing that I had planned to talk about since the first time I sat down to record this, but um, I did add a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. So I have had obviously a lot of time to sit and think because of this weather. Also, like just throughout the day, day to day type stuff, I'm mostly by myself. I feel like I've said that a million times. No one cares anymore, Lexi. Like, stop complaining about it. Um, but, anyways, so I have a lot of time to think about things, and I have a lot of things that I just like have thought about recently um that are going on in the industry that are going on um in my day-to-day life like things that I've had like experiences with recently and so I wanted to talk about those things and this is not to be negative but these are kind of like things that might come across as like pet peeves or things that I don't like in the industry um me kind of being a little bit nitpicky so I do apologize if this comes across in the wrong way that's not my intention at all but I just feel like this is something that we could all like relate to in some sort of way or maybe sit back and laugh about because you know these are just some sad truths but I feel like we all deal with them so anyways I am going to stop blabbering and just get into it and hopefully this turns out to be a good episode okay let's kick this thing off I would say the number one thing that I have been encountering lately um and I don't know if it's from like spending a little bit more time on social media or being in more of like a seller's market position right now with the horses um, or what it is. But I have been seeing this a lot and I think that it's kind of comical, but at the same time, it's really frustrating. So um, the horse market and people complaining about prices of horses being too high. Um, I'm really going to refrain from getting like super like heated and passionate about this um but I feel like there's some things that have been left unsaid and there's just some things that go through my mind whenever I see people post on like Facebook or Instagram like complaining about the prices of horses and how the market is so high and blah 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 um I think that there's just a couple things that I need to get off my chest so anyways first and foremost um 
I want to be very specific about the part of the market that I'm addressing because obviously within the horse market, there's so many different areas um, that you can like in categories that you can fall within whenever you're either buying or selling horses. So obviously Daniel and I are like really in the performance horse market. Um, and that's where we've planted ourselves. We don't sell like family horses. We don't sell trail horses. We don't sell, you know, um, kids horses. Like we don't, we're not targeting a market, um, like that. We're selling horses that are like high caliber performance horses that are either going to go and excel in like a reigning cow horse cutting type program or you know maybe they're bred to do that and they're going to find more success roping or running barrels or something like that but regardless like the type of people that we're targeting are people that are going to turn these animals into performance horses um so within that specific market um there have been a lot of people complaining about how horses are priced how everything is selling for you know higher like high four fig figures and up um which is true and I know that in previous years you know you could go get a decent performance prospect for maybe cheaper um but I feel like the market in general is just increasing and and steadily increasing and it's been that way for a while and it just blows my mind to see that you know people want to get in and play the game right like they want to play the game with the big dogs they want to have the nice horses they want to have the top horses they want to be successful but they don't want to pay the money that it takes to get into it and it makes me like <laughs> it makes my stomach like churn a little bit whenever I see people complaining about it. Like it's more common for people to complain in the horse market of like, you know, I'm just looking for a trail horse. I'm just looking for a family horse. Like there's been people that have been complaining within that market for my entire life and it's going to continue to happen and I could see why people would complain about the the prices of those horses going up to be a certain amount because those people aren't looking to compete. They're not looking to have top horses. They're just looking to have like a family pet or something that they can just enjoy on the weekends, that type of deal. But whenever I see people complaining about these top prospects um, about the pricing and the market and, oh, the market just needs to come back down, like this is getting ridiculous. I hate to break it to y'all, but like if you haven't been in the game long enough to realize that buying the horse is the cheapest part, then I don't know what else to tell you. Like, let's start there because I feel like a lot of people are getting upset because, you know, they want to compete, they want to have a top horse, and then, you know, they're looking at horses and they're all within the five-figure range and, like, well into five figures, and they're saying, like, oh, you know, these horses aren't worth this, these horses aren't worth that. Let's start from square one. The breeder has to put a lot of money into that horse um, just to get it on the ground, so... Yes, you see the stud fee. Yes, you see how much it costs to purchase a broodmare. That's obviously super high right now. Stud fees are increasing because those horses have higher progeny earnings. They have higher lifetime earnings. They're more successful. So obviously those prices are going to go up and rightfully so. So you have to buy the broodmare, pay for the stud fee. Then you have to keep that, then you have to breed the mare and then you have to keep that foal alive. And then you have to take care of that foal till it's ready to be weaned. And then you have to decide, is it best to sell it right then? Is it best to hold it another year and sell it as a yearling? Or is it best to hold it another year and sell it as a two-year-old? Or is it something that you're going to keep long-term and put into a training program somewhere? Think about all the money that's affiliated with just that cycle alone. That doesn't include vet bills, that doesn't include, you know, training fees, that, that doesn't include anything other than just taking care of that horse until you get to that next step and how much money you're investing just to get to that point. So obviously the horses with better breeding are going to be more expensive, right? 
And those are probably the horses that are going to be a little bit more apt to be successful because the breeding has proven itself. Then you have, you know, people saying, oh, well, you know, breeders are asking all this money for these weanlings. The cost of breeding is just sky high and it's continuing to go up. But what I don't understand is, is like, do you want breeders to lose money? Because if you have enough breeders that are losing money, then they're just going to stop breeding horses. Why would they continue to put out a product that they're not even making a profit on? I'm supposed to lose money as a breeder so that you can buy a horse for cheaper and be happy with the price you paid for it. That doesn't make any sense. And then you want these high high quality, you know, performance horse prospects or, or even show horses that are finished. And you're like, oh, you know, I could never pay $50,000 for a horse. Okay, then don't because you're going to spend more money on that horse to get it into the show pen, to get it on the road, to get it to win because you have to think about all the expenses that go in with rehab and maintenance for a top tier prospect getting a top tier prospect conditioned and on the road and under a trainer's butt, you know, you have all these different things that you're going to have to put into it. That $50,000 bill is going to look real small whenever you start putting all the other money into it that it's going to take to win and to be successful and to be good. And so once you figure out that buying the horse is probably going to be the cheapest part, whether you're buying a $500 horse or a $500,000 horse, you're, you're in a better frame of mind. So that's one thing that's quite comical to me and that I've seen a lot lately. Um, Another thing is, you know, kind of going along with what I said about breeders, you know, are we expecting breeders to take a loss? The training market is just insane. (laughs) Um, I keep laughing about it because I just can't believe that it is the way that it is. But a lot of professionals are talking about this lately and, you know, it's hard for me to kind of take a backseat and look at this. I will say that... In the past couple of months, um, I can't say like it's been a long-term decision because obviously last year I was taking in outside training horses, but I've decided to stop doing that. One, because I've kind of gotten to that point where it's not something that I want to do anymore. But two, I've just had enough people tell me that I'm worth a lot more than that. Um, And that's not to say that people that train outside horses aren't worth a lot, but I think that the primary concern within, like, my group of people that I run with, whether it's my mentors, my family, Daniel, obviously, but the primary concern has kind of been, like, okay, if you get hurt riding someone's pet or, you know, a horse that's never going to go and compete because you're taking outside client horses for people that you know, then what happens when you get hurt and then you can't ride your top horses and you can't ride the horses that actually need need you to ride them in order to be successful? And so basically just kind of putting more worth in my butt. Um, And I know that's a weird way to say it, but like, I feel like I've heard it enough and I feel like people are right. Like I am worth way more to myself and to my business by having my butt in my saddle on my horses than I am riding somebody else's, both from a financial standpoint, from like a safety standpoint, and also from the standpoint of time and I want to put more time into my horses to make them better quality. So um, that's kind of what, like what the big deciding factor for me was. But also, you know, the training market is very competitive. And it's funny the way that it's competitive in. So you obviously have, like, your everyday horse trainers that will take anything, um, whether it's started, unstarted, you know, problem horse, um, maybe something that's never been ridden before, on and on and on. They have, like, the different directions that they'll go based on the disciplines that they have the most knowledge in. 
Um, and that's kind of like where I was sitting with taking outside horses. Um, then you have the trainers that are very specific. Like they only ride cutters. They only ride rainers. They only run barrel horses. And those are the people that are trying to be professional trainers for the outside market. Maybe they don't own as many horses that are personal. Maybe they train for a really nice facility. Um, maybe they ride for a lot of big name breeders. That's going to be like your professional, like top notch trainers. And then you have your people that shouldn't be horse trainers, but want to be horse trainers or call themselves horse trainers and they don't really have the tools or the credibility to be doing what they're doing and then you have all the people that fall in the middle of all those different things and um there's no shame in being in the middle of any of that but what I'm saying is is like those people that probably don't have the credentials to be a trainer or probably shouldn't be training horses yet or maybe you know they need to go work under somebody and learn a thing or two those people are priced at a certain price point, right? And what happens is, is a lot of people that have horses that don't know enough about the market, don't know enough about the industry, they're thinking, hey, I can send my horse to that guy right over there and he'll ride it for $600 for 30 days of training. I'm going to get 30 days of training out of that guy for, for $600. And this is just throwing numbers out there. I honestly don't even have one specific person in mind, but I'm just thinking out loud. Or... I could send my horse over to this guy for $1,200 a month, and it's the same 30 days. I think I'm going to go with the $600 guy because he's cheaper, right? More for my buck. And this doesn't apply to everybody that charges less money, but the majority of the people that are undercharging or they look like they're not charging enough money, like significantly lower than like the top people or the people on the higher end, it's probably for a reason. Let's just say that first. But people are picking those guys. So then what's happening is the professional that's charging $1,200 is trying to get clients in. And they're like, well, dang, I need to lower my prices so that I can be competing with this guy, this guy, and this guy that are charging, excuse me, char- charging way less money because I'm not going to get enough clients in to put a roof over my head and food on the table for the next month because I don't have my barn full. And then you have all of these trainers that are extremely like have extreme credentials they're extremely like suitable for training horses and and great for the job and you're actually going to get something of value back you have all these guys over here that are lowering their prices so that they can compete with the people that have no business training horses because they have to do that in order to get clients in and now you have a bunch of underpaid trainers and It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why would we want to do that to our industry? And how long do you think that those trainers are going to stay in the game and continue to be underpaid and undervalued before they just say, you know what, this just isn't worth it? And I will say, I do have a lot of people in my life. I know several people that are still training to this day, still are not making an adequate amount of money, and are still undervalued and underpaid, and... They're in their 70s and 80s training horses because they've had to continue to do this their whole lives because they never were able to get to that point where they could set aside money to retire because they were too busy trying to keep their hand in the game. And that's just sad to me because I feel like we should have given them more value earlier on. And there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of professionals that are speaking out about this and saying, hey, look, 
trainers that are worth a dang, they need to start charging people the right amount of money. They need to start putting money in their pockets and they need to stop lowering their prices to be competitive with these, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry's that shouldn't even be riding horses in the first place. And I think that we need to speak out about this more because I feel like people that are in the industry need to be having this conversation with people that are maybe new to the industry or maybe don't have as much experience because if we can all be on the same page about the fact that if you spend a little bit more money, you're going to get that higher quality horse and you're going to be paying somebody that actually knows what they're doing instead of just, oh, I want to take the cheap route. I'm sorry, but would you take the cheap route and anything else that like was going to put your life at risk? Like, okay. I, I mean, I don't even really know what to compare it to, but like you're you're literally trusting someone with something that every single time you get on it you're risking your life right so like why would you trust someone that values themselves that low you know what I mean I don't know that probably didn't make any sense but it just blows my mind that people think that like oh I'm gonna get way more bang for my buck if I spend less money like no that's never been the case in anything in life so why would that be the case in horse training I don't I don't understand it but there's also people there's also people that train horses that charge the same amount as these professional people and they are not they should not be charging that at all and people are paying them because they charge more money and they're like oh he must be really good and it's like well no he's actually terrible but you know and has a terrible reputation but let's keep sending him horses like there's definitely people like that as well but all I can say to people that are in that boat where you're looking for a trainer and trying to figure out what's going to be the best case scenario for you um is just do your research. And and if you're a trainer in the industry or a breeder in the industry, make a social media page or make a website that people can go to and actually see your work. Post videos, post pictures. Keep like keep on it. And I know that that might be tedious and annoying, but it's going to help you out so much in the long run if you just get your information out there so that people can actually see it and like compare it to other people. Because I don't know about you, but if I've never met someone and I don't know, like, maybe I've got two people in mind to send, you know, a cow horse prospect to and I just don't know who I want to go with, I'm obviously going to go to the person. Like, maybe their credentials are the same. Maybe their, you know, earnings are the same, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, the person that I can figure out more information about and feel more confident in that decision is probably the person that I'm going to go with. Just saying. So if you can post more information on the internet to be able to advertise yourself better, I say take the time to do that. And maybe it is tedious and maybe it's annoying and like, oh, I hate social media, I hate building websites, blah, blah, blah. I think that it's really going to help people out in the long run because it's going to help, you know, potential clients see what you're about. So I think that that's really important. Um, While we're on the topic of training, this is something that I've uh, had a couple of conversations about with various people over the past year or so and it's really interesting to hear everybody's insight and um I just felt the need to include this while I was talking about trainers but people who send their horses off for training with really unrealistic expectations that's funny to me like I'm gonna send my horse off for 30 days and the trainer is going to fix every single problem that I have with my horse in 30 days okay good luck I mean, I don't know what the problem is, but if that's automatically your expectation that in 30 days a problem is going to be fixed, that's not going to happen. Like, or the people that are like, oh, my colt is going to be riding around perfectly when I send it to the trainer after it's been there for 30 days. 
this is this is actually kind of funny so the other day i was talking to abby obviously hello abby i always talk about her on the podcast i feel like but i was talking to abby and they have three two-year-olds this year her and zach that they're about to send off for training um and they like sent uh progress pictures or videos or something to their trainer that they're going to be working with and he was like oh my gosh they look great thank you so much for doing everything that you're doing and abby was like lex i'm literally just saddling them doing groundwork round painting them making them stand tied while they're saddled like just basic bare minimum crap and he's like kissing my feet over it and it's funny because I think a lot of people don't do that for their trainer they think oh well like my my horse doesn't stand tied but it'll be fine like just send them off they can deal with it at the trainers like every single thing that your horse does that could potentially be a roadblock, that's going to be more time that the trainer is going to have to stop and give them the tools to be successful at that thing before they can be successful at anything else. Like if you're sending a prospect off, like if it doesn't pick up its feet, if it doesn't stand tied, you don't necessarily have to saddle it for the first time if that's if you're sending it off to be started. But like if it doesn't know how to lunge or round pin or like do or lead or do anything like has no ground manners whatsoever I hope you understand that your horse is going to spend the first 30 days of their training just learning how to do those things and if your trainer can do all of those things in you know a shorter amount of time and still have that horse ridden for you in 30 days then great they're probably really good at their job but don't ever go in with those expectations if you've done none of the preparation work to help set your trainer up for success then you don't get to have expectations. And I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. Like, if you're not doing your part on the front end, then you don't get to be like, oh, this, 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 and this all needs to be done. And all needs to be fixed. Because that, you, I just, it just blows my mind that everyone just thinks that they get to, like, have a say in that and have control over that situation. And the other thing, too, is, like, it's great to have expectations. It's great to have, like, a list of things that you would like to see happen, things that you need to change. Um, But every horse is going to have a different timeline. And like I said, if a horse doesn't have the tools in order to be successful in doing whatever it is that you want them to do, then it just doesn't make sense for you to have those expectations in a certain time frame. Like, you can't sit there and be like, oh, well, you know... Um, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head that's just like, like, okay, like, this is just something completely off the wall. But like, say your horse has never like you haven't done any of the groundwork. And you're sending your horse off for 30 days. And you're like, Oh, I want them to be able to, you know, yield their hind quarters, start a spin, um, have a good stop and backup, um, you know, carry like, carry themselves collected at all times, like all of these different things that you have, you want them to do in 30 days. First of all, any trainer is just going to laugh at, laugh at you or laugh about you when you leave. Um, but second of all, you know, you didn't give them any of the tools to be successful in the first place. So if you truly think that your horse is going to get there, learn how to do all the ground manner stuff, then get ridden and then learn all that stuff under saddle in the first 30 days, this is not going to happen. And I've talked to a lot of different trainers with a lot of different setups to their program. 30 days at a trainer does not mean 30 days of that trainer working with that horse. That means 30 days of your horse being at that facility. But some trainers only work, you know, 
Some trainers will work with them six days a week, some of them five, some of them three days a week. Like, it just depends. So when you send your horse off, especially if it's getting ridden, 30 days does not mean 30 rides. 30 days means 30 days on my work schedule. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I just sent my horse off for 30 days, so they came back with 30 rides. Like, no, that's not how it worked at all. I mean, you may get your horse back and maybe he only has 12 rides after 30 days because they had to saddle it and they had to, you know, do this, do that. Then they took weekends off. And by the time it boils down to it, it's only had 12 rides. That's why people normally will say, oh, you have to have your horse with me a minimum of 60 days or a minimum of 90 days because they know that you are going to have unrealistic expectations for when that horse gets back to you. And that's just a sad truth. And that's just how, like, anybody that's been in the training business knows that and knows that, you know, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we work with your horse, nobody's ever going to be 110% satisfied every single time. They're just not. And you may have repeat customers because they like what you do and they like how you did things, but they're always going to be like, well, dang, I wish my horse knew how to do this, or I wish that this was covered in the training, or I wish that this many rides happened instead of this many, or I wish that my horse looked like this. And that's the other thing that really just like makes me laugh is like when people have unrealistic expectations for their horses, like for things that are never going to happen. For example, let's say, you know, you have this, I I don't even know, like you'll look at a horse confirmationally and I don't want to give any specific examples because I don't want anybody I know to be like, wait, is she talking about my horse? Because I'm not talking about any one specific horse, but I just have noticed this trend. But like, say a horse is confirmationally built a specific way and then based off of that confirmation, they expect them to be able to do something that their confirmation does not allow them to do. Or maybe their bloodlines doesn't allow them to do or, or at least do well. Like, your barrel horses that are like straight up running bread off the track bread like all of that they may stop pretty good but they're not going to slide and stop like a rainer they're just not and like you may have the nicest like you know off the track thoroughbred ever that's a phenomenal barrel prospect but they're not going to be good at cutting a cow like you know what i mean or people are like oh like i want a horse with like low center of gravity like uh, always collected, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, they buy like the tallest horse that has ever been made. It's like, well, (laughs) scientifically, that's not going to work. Like, honestly, but I mean, the other thing is, is like, you'll have these people that are like, Oh, like I want my horse to move like that horse. or I want my horse to look like that horse. Like you can't change conformation. You can't change bone structure. I feel like we've talked about this before. So, knowing that, like, you can't compare apples to oranges. It's just not going to work. And then, if your horse rides around a certain way, and you're trying to get them to do something that, like, maybe they're not bred to do, or maybe they're not, you're, you know, they're not super comfortable doing because of the way that they're put together, then it's not going to look the same way as it would look on a horse that's confirmationally put together to be able to be successful at that, or maybe that horse is bred to do something like that. And that's why they're so good at it. And that's why all of those things are important when you're looking at buying horses. Because if you want something that's confirmationally apt to perform in whatever you want it to perform in. You want something that's bred to perform the way that you want it to perform. You know what I mean? Like, all of those things are so important. But then people buy a horse and then they're like, oh, I want that. And it's like, whoa, that's a pair. You can't have a pair. You're an apple. 
You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. But it's something that I hear people complain about a lot and talk about a lot and be like, oh, you know, I wish my horse moved like so-and-so's or I wish my horse, you know, did this like so-and-so's. It's like, well, they can't. They're not bred to do that. They don't, they don't, they don't have the body style to do that. You know what I mean? Like, just blows my mind. But anyways, um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, there's also the people, and I feel like I'm kind of going in order of like, all right, people that buy their horses, and then people that, you know, send their horses to a trainer, and then people that have unrealistic expectations all the horses at the trainer. Now let's talk about people that have high expectations for their horses, and then they never do anything with them. I say this all the time. I feel like I should get merch that says this on it, but like, I tell people all the time, like, go ride your dang horse. Like, you out here running your mouth, go ride your horse, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's funny to me, but you'll have, and I see this all the time, and, and it's part of it is running a boarding facility, and then part of it is social media, part of it is, I think, like, the age group that I'm in, um, because you have these people that, like, they haven't really reached that cusp of being, like, an old-timey professional, you know what I mean? But, like, they're not in the youth anymore, so we're just kind of, like, somewhere in the middle just trying to make a name for ourselves and be successful. But there are a lot of people that have these really, really high expectations for their horses, whether it's from a training at, like training perspective, which that's usually what it is. That's usually what people, you know, have the most expectations in. But then they never do anything with the horse. Like, the horse just sits there all the time. Like, I can't even tell you, like... Honestly, the majority of the boarders that, I, I, that I've had, that we've had at this place, they don't ride, but maybe, you know, the ones that ride frequently only ride, like, once a week, once every two weeks. And I get that everybody has a life that's completely understandable. Like, not everybody can ride every single day. Um, I did have a couple of boarders, actually, now that I think about it, that did ride more frequently. But, you know, their schedule just didn't... Um, make time for them to be able to ride every single day, which is fine. Like, everybody's been in that position before. But it's funny to me because, like, you'll have the people that ride, like, once a month or once every couple of months or whatever. And then they they have these high expectations for their horse. And, like, you see it all the time. Like, people will say, like, comment on your social media and say, like, oh, my God, like, your horse rides around like a dream. What do you do to make it do that? Uh, well, I ride all the time. <laughs> Like, I work my horse. Or, oh, my God, your horse looks phenomenal. What do you do? And it's like, well, my horse is on an exercise program that is way different than your exercise program. So, obviously, they're going to look better because they're – like, you can feed your horse a certain way all day long and hope that it looks good. But if you're not working it out, then it's not going to look as good as somebody who's feeding their horse correctly and exercising their horse, right? Like, I feel like that's just common knowledge. But – it's really funny to me to, like, see people complain about that type of stuff. Because I'm like, that's something that you can control. And, like, you know, someone will give their horse a ton of time off and then, oh, my gosh, like, he's not doing this, this, and this the way I want him to. Or she's not doing this, this, and this. And, like, I feel like we just hit a wall or we backtracked a ton. And it's like, well, yeah, because, like, you're not doing anything with your horse. Like, and... I don't know. I feel like the most like interesting time frame that that happens is when people will sit there and say like, say we're like at like a rodeo or we're at a show or whatever. 
And people were like, oh, man, you know, my horse didn't do good because he's had three months off. And it's like, do you just not ride your horse for three months because you're using that as your crutch? Like, if you rode your horse for three months, you wouldn't be able to use that as your excuse when your horse does bad. That's always funny to me. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm just being mean. But it's just, it's interesting to see, like, the dynamic for different people and, like, the people that have, like, these super, super high expectations, but then, like, they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything to help themselves out. They don't do anything to help their horses out. And it's like, just go ride your horse. Like, it's not that hard. Oh, man. If y'all catch me out here complaining because my horses are doing bad and I don't sit there and take ownership for the fact that I'm not doing my part, y'all call me out, please, because that's, like, one of my biggest pet peeves because that's something that's in my control. You know what I mean? Like, that's why y'all hear me on on the podcast talking about, like, oh, this horse is a little bit behind, like, for where we want her to be because it's it's my fault. Like, I didn't do my part. And Daniel hates that I say that because he's like, well, you know, this was going on and this was going on and this is going on. And, like, yeah, I get that all those things were going on and you don't want me to feel, like, bad or guilty. But, like, all of those things were were things that were going on and I made a choice to not do my part, if that makes any sense. So, like, at least if you're going to complain about it, at least take ownership. (laughs) Because when you don't take ownership for stuff like that and then you have these high expectations, it's like, well... First of all, Rome wasn't built in a day. And second of all, your horse isn't going to get any better if you're not doing your part to make it better. So, sorry, not sorry. Um, okay, let's talk about social media because we kind of already talked about this um, like throughout the whole thing. But I feel like the number one thing that I've seen on social media lately is like couch trainers or couch jockeys or whatever you want to call them. If you're not in the horse industry, that's like the backseat driver, you know, like the people that always have something to say, but they're not in the position to say something. I feel like we're all guilty of it. Like, I'll see something going on, and I'll, like, look at Daniel and be like, oh. And then it's like, well, you don't really know the situation. Like, you don't know the horse. You don't know the person. You don't know this. You don't know that. So, like, you don't know what's going on. Can't really speak on it, especially on social media. That's the thing that drives me so crazy is, like, everybody has a voice on social media. Everybody can hide behind their phone and say whatever they want and make all this commentary and blah, blah, blah. But, like... Would you say that to someone's face? Probably not. And if you would, you should really, like, my mom always tells me that I need a filter sometimes. So, like, you should really go get a filter because, like, that's just nasty. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, like, obviously posting on social media, like, TikTok. Um, we don't have a YouTube channel yet, but we're working on it. So, but um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, like, people see stuff all the time and then, You'll post a video or a picture and people will be like, oh, well, I would have done this or, oh, I don't like how you did this. And then, like, when you put something out on the Internet, it's pretty much there for forever. Like, you can you can delete it, but people probably have screenshots or screen recordings or, you know, you can backtrack and say, like, oh, I didn't say that. People are probably going to know that you said it. So that's a tough thing about social media. And that's why, like, I'm very picky about what I post and what I don't post. Um, Like. I'm not here to, like, give anybody financial advice. I'm not here to give anybody, like, trending advice on the internet because, like, I don't want anybody to ever, like, do something and then it backfire on them and then them come for me. Like, I'm just telling you guys what works for me and what we do and, like, what makes us successful. If you choose to use that, great, but, like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, you should do this and then that would fix that problem because every horse is different. Every trainer is different. Everybody's going to have, like, different ways of going about doing things or teaching things or whatever. And so, because of that, it's kind of hard for anybody on the internet to be like, well, I would have done this. Well, I'm sure you would have with your bro course. But, like, I have a two-year-old that I'm trying to start under saddle right now. And 
that isn't going to work for her. And you wouldn't know that because you're not here every day working with her. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's funny to like see what people say on social media because at this point in my life, I just pretty much laugh at everything because like what else can you do? You know what I mean? But at the same time, like there are people out there that are very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't really know. Uh, oh man. Like whatever you say is going to impact them in a really strong way. Like they're very, um, receptive to that type of stuff. And you could very well hurt someone's feelings or make them feel like they're failing or whatever, just based off of like commentary that you leave on social media. And I get that there are people out there that are saying things to try to be helpful and try like out of the kindness of their own heart and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what people are, you know, trying to accomplish. And, like, calling people out in the comment section is probably not the best way to go about it. And if you're truly there to, like, help someone and give someone advice, like, you can private message people. Like, you can DM them. Like, you know, you can go about doing it in a way that's actually going to be, like, effective and kind versus, like, calling them out for likes and giggles on the comment section of something. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like that's wrong. Um, and I mean, it's always funny to me to like go and look at these people that have like all this stuff to say and like, oh, you know, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And then you go to their page and then you look at all the stuff that they're doing wrong. And it's like, well, how would you feel if we sat here and called you out for everything that you do wrong? Probably not very good. So why don't you just shut your mouth? And it's not to say that like I get a lot of hate comments because I really, I don't think I have gotten a hate comment, but, um, you know, it's just like be just be nice like that's not hard um but like if you see someone doing something a certain way and you don't agree with it maybe just like try to have that conversation in private like if you're actually wanting to have the conversation to help that person out or help that horse out then that's something that you can do privately like you don't need to like comment in front of everybody and like put people on blast like I feel like people are like less receptive to information if they feel like they're being targeted so maybe just like start framing it up a little different or something I don't know but anyways, those are like the top things as of lately that have been kind of like irking me that I've been seeing a lot of. And like I said, this is in no way like trying to be like, oh, Debbie Downer, like the horse industry is so awful because it's not. It's been great lately. Um, you know, I think that the high market prices are really good for the industry. It's putting a lot of money into people's pockets. Um, it's giving a lot of people the opportunity to, you know, get to that next level. Um and it's exciting to see, you know, how much horses are selling for these days. I feel like we're finally catching up to other markets that have been selling horses like this for years and years. Like, I mean, think about the racing market. They've always sold horses really high, whether it's quarters or thoroughbreds. Um, the English market, I told Daniel the other day, like, if you want to see a market or a part of the industry that knows what they're doing and is charging based off of how they should be charging for, like, the value that they're instilling in these horses, whether it's at the breeding level, the training level, whatever. Um, look at the English market because they've been pricing things a certain way for a long time and people are always like, oh, you know, English is a rich man's sport. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, what is it about English horses that makes them better than our horses in the Western industry? Because, like, our horses are equally as well-bred, equally as athletic, equally as competitive, equally as successful, but we're half the price or a third of the price or whatever like it just doesn't make any sense to me so I get that it's a different world I get that it's you know 
a different style of doing things and that, you know, it's more common in the Western industry for like people to get into like family horses and trail horses and stuff like that. I get that. But I mean, there's also kids that take English riding lessons their whole life. And then, you know, they never get a performance horse. Like people in the performance horse world, like we can still step it up on our end. We don't have to, we don't have to wait on that, you know, family market and, you know, the kids horse market and the trail horse market. We don't, we don't have to worry about taking them with us and, oh, you know, and I feel like the performance market is really starting to step up and be like, you know what? No, our horses are worth this much and this is what we're doing and this is why. And I feel like, like I said at the beginning, like if you you can't afford to play the game, like don't complain about it. Just sit on the sidelines and watch. And when you can afford to play it, then you can come in and start voicing your opinion and telling people what to do. But until you're throwing money at the game, like, nobody really cares about your opinion because you're just, you're not helping any of us out. So, I don't know. That's just my two cents. But um, I also think that if you're looking at sending your horse to a trainer, maybe you are a trainer. Like I said, you know, if you're sending your horse to a trainer, do your research. If you are a trainer, make sure you're putting your information out there so that they can do their research. Because if you don't allow them the opportunity to get to know you and to get to know your work and to get to see the value in what you do, then you're not really giving yourself a fair chance for them to pick you over someone else. So it's definitely something that I would say to do. Um, If you're sending your horse off for training, don't come at your trainer with unrealistic expectations. Maybe have a conversation about like, okay, what can I expect? What should I expect? What do you think we can do? And then continue to have those conversations throughout the time that they're at the trainer so that you can get a better understanding of what you're going to get back. Because as they start to progress and as they start to work with your horse, they're going to be able to give you a better idea. But they're not going to make any promises up front of, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Because they don't know until they start working with them and getting their hands on them. So don't have unrealistic expectations. Um, If you're not going to do anything with your horse, then you shouldn't have high expectations for them, period. Um, Like your horse is a a direct reflection of who you are as a person and and the work that you're putting into them. Just like anything else in this life. So... um, if you're going to have high expectations for your horse, then you better be busting your butt to make sure that they have the tools to be successful and meet those expectations. And if you are on social media and you have something to say to people, we don't like couch trainers and we don't like couch jockeys. Don't tell me how to ride my horse. Don't tell me how to train my horse. If you think you can do it better, I'd love to see you try. So anyways, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, I know that this was a lot of things that have been just like circulating. I'm sure there's a lot of people that agree with some of the stuff I said. Maybe that some of you disagree. That's completely fine. Um, if you have anything that you would like to add or maybe things that bother you in the industry and you want to share them, feel free to let me know on Instagram. Um, I love to hear about things that maybe have been going on that, uh, maybe I haven't caught up with yet or seen Um, and just kind of see like what's going on in everybody else's world and maybe what other people are experiencing based off of, you know, how their program is set up or what they do or so on and so forth. So anyways, if you guys want to talk about any of this, you know where to find me. Otherwise I'll talk to you guys next week and I hope you have a great rest of your week.